0: One of the biggest questions I get asked all the time by consultants, coaches, and service providers who work in the business-to-business or B2B space selling into organizations is how can I get corporate client contracts? And it's an interesting question that nearly always needs a bit of a reframe because it so depends on the specific bottleneck in the process and opening up an intuitive path to connecting with the right people. So hang on tight. Here's what this episode's all about. Welcome to the Leverage Business Podcast, where we believe business success is about working smarter, not harder. Leveraging your time and expertise in ways that fit the digital age you and your clients live in today. I'm your host, Jay Allison, author of Leverage Consulting in the Digital Age and founder of the iSuccess Business Academy. And every week I'll be sharing insights into how you can apply the power of leverage to grow your consulting, coaching, or other expert services business and create true freedom and independent success with mindset, marketing, and money model breakthroughs. Because when you get leveraged, the sky's the limit. Let's go for it. Hello everyone, welcome to more Leveraged Business Matters. And today I'm diving into one of the big questions most business owners want to know, which is how to get more customers. And specifically, if you're working in the B2B space and want to get corporate client contracts, it's less about creating funnels and much more about creating connections that lead to finding good clients. When you're selling into organizations, there isn't just one person you have to convince that what you've got is what they need. It's a whole different ball game if you have to go through multiple decision makers or procurement procedures. Because for B2B, how can I get more clients is a question that nearly always needs a bit of a reframe because the answer depends on where your bottleneck is. So if you're B2B and stuck on how to get corporate client contracts, I'm gonna talk about the process in terms of an intuitive pathway. So you can see the steps, and start solving for where you're hitting resistance. So let's go. When you're asking, how can I get corporate client contracts? There are really five questions you need to be asking and whether you need to ask all of them depends on where you're stuck. Question one is how can I get in front of the right people? Question two is how do I get corporate decision makers to want to talk to me? Question three is how to know the best timing to approach prospective B2B clients? Question four is how can I position my offer to appeal to organizations? And then assuming you are speaking with the decision maker and there's a good fit between what they need and what you do, a key way to make sure you're not leaking clients and leaving revenue on the table is to solve this fifth question. How can I make it easier for clients to get started working with me now and not later? Let me start with talking about why landing big corporate clients is not just about being networked. To address question one, how can I get in front of the right people? And in true ideal client avatar terms, you need to identify your target organization, the type, size, location, industry, and so on. Related to this and to address question two, how do I get the decision makers to want to talk to me? You want to consider which roles inside those organizations are best placed for an initial discussion. I talked about discovery calls in episode 23 and that's what this step is all about. Particularly in the B2B space, not only are the roles and responsibilities often quite varied depending on the type of organization, but there are gatekeepers to push through too. So in this episode, I'm going to tackle both these questions head on by solving the different parts of what's needed here. I'm going to focus on how to reach corporate decision makers, but to be fair, many of the principles apply even in B2C prospecting where you're targeting individuals. Just for background, these questions tie in with the second and third dimensions in the iSuccess framework, targeting and positioning. Back in January, episodes 13 and 14, and a little bit in 15, I outlined all about the iSuccess seven dimensions model and 14 critical elements. So in each dimension, I call out two elements that provide critical levers for improving business performance. I explain the seven dimensions and all 14 elements in detail in my book, Leverage Consulting in the Digital Age. And how they drive the key leverage points for the engage, educate, enroll process of client acquisition and business growth. So, I'm not covering those here. But I will talk a little bit about the targeting and positioning dimensions because these first two questions of how to get in front of the right people and how to reach corporate decision makers are all about reaching out to the key roles for what you do. If it's leadership development, you probably want to be talking to the HR director or the talent manager. And if it's IT, you'll want to speak to the head of IT or head of operations. There are two elements in the targeting dimension that will help you with question one, getting in front of the right people. These are making sure that your outreach is targeted, doing your research for which types or sizes of organizations you want to work with, and making a list of specific companies that you'll contact. The other element is being niche-specific. And that's more about making sure your background and experience tie strongly into one kind of industry or sector and one kind of function within that industry or sector. There are also two elements in the positioning dimension. These are more focused on being unique and being networked. So you see, only one of the four elements is about who you know and the circles you move in, your sphere of influence, if you like. It's pretty critical, but it's not the only thing. With questions like how to get in front of the right people and reach key decision makers in corporate B2B organizations, it's easy to assume it's all about building networks. But as I outline it here, that's only one element in the four that's about networks. The other three you need to focus on too. Because there's little use having a great network if your offer doesn't land with the right people or that those organizations are not profitable for you in terms of what they spend money on. Certainly it's important to have a good network because you need numbers, you need to have enough decision makers to talk to, but in the first instance you need to test that they will want to talk with you. And you get way more interest and enthusiasm if you're correctly targeted and positioned in terms of having the right offer, one that is very niche specific, one that's unique in terms of your approach to solving a problem they're experiencing or getting the results that they want. And those are the crossover points for how you can leverage other people's networks and spheres of influence to build your own, particularly if what they do is complementary to what you do. Now let's turn to identifying your perfect timing in your client's experience of the problem or the result that they want. Now question three was all about how to know the best timing to approach prospective B2B clients. This is another really critical piece of the puzzle to get corporate client contracts, identifying the perfect timing. There are two aspects involved here. First is the timing in relation to your client's experience of the problem or the result that they're after. And second is perfect timing in relation to the client's budget planning and buying cycle. Making a connection and inviting a conversation can come at the exact right time and get picked up, or it can land on deaf ears. So you need to ensure you're having the right conversation at the right time in the process for your potential client. And to answer this, I'll give you an example. I'm working with a client who's moving from done-for-you project management services to IT consulting because it's more profitable. We identified that a really good niche for him is in project planning support to companies doing technology implementation projects, This aligns with his purpose of helping projects run effectively in preventing project failure. It also builds on his strength and many years experience in both IT implementation and project management training. But the challenge is where in the process of project planning is he best placed to help with? The answer to this one question will determine his whole messaging and the timing for when he's best to approach corporate decision makers with his offer of support. And it has a lot to do with understanding that process. There's the project design stage, the planning piece, day-to-day project management, project monitoring and evaluation. All very different components of running effective projects that require different skills. While my client could help with all of these, his unique differentiator is helping companies see their blind spots, to understand the success factors and to know how to smooth the road ahead. So what stage of a project is he better placed to help with? At the start of the project, yes, definitely. Then the project will be planned optimally and stands the best chance of success. However, many teams think they have it all in hand. So the project manager isn't going to hold his hand up and say he's unsure what he's doing. He's not going to get someone in effectively to check his work. After all, that's his area of expertise, right? That's what he's paid for, to run the project and to do a good job. In this scenario as the bottleneck the risk assessment specialist if you want to reach corporate decision makers it's the project manager's boss you need to target not the project manager he's the one running around with the worry and risk of having the project go awry or worse if it fails so what about in the middle of the project when things are in full swing and everyone's super busy and everything's totally committed what about struggling projects Here, the problem is no longer in a blind spot. In fact, it's blindingly obvious that they're in a tight spot. If you can reach corporate decision makers with saving grace kind of messaging, your invitation to a conversation is likely to hit home because it comes at a critical time. The project's going down the tube and you, the go-to person to turn things around. Imagine how delighted that decision maker is going to be to have your solution land in his in-tray or if he sees someone like you asking to connect. What about at the end when the company is facing a failed project? Well, in most cases, then it's too late. You could market to help with future projects, but it's a tough market because the confidence of commitment may have taken a beating. Plus, they might not have the funds to back another project. Question three, how to know the right timing is, however, also about the annual planning and financial budgeting cycle you're more likely to get corporate client contracts at the start of their annual planning than after the budgets have been set. You may also find there are more opportunities to get a yes at the end of the budget year when there may be an underspend or your offer fits with priorities they haven't been able to meet yet. So part of the research when you're having your outreach discovery conversations is to find out how decisions are made around your area of provision when budgets are set and what their procurement or proposal process is. Also, you can be a bit savvy about your pricing because sometimes an organization or company may have a threshold cost for proposals. That is, they can make decisions easily and quickly or use discretionary funds without massive hoops to jump through if the cost is under a certain amount. In the non-profit sector, certainly in the UK, where my consulting business is based, this can be around five to £10,000 or up to £50,000 depending on their size and usually it's a compliance requirement for fair trade and risk management. In the private sector it's usually set by the board and again will depend on the size and turnover of the company or the norms of the sector. All in all, you're best to research this as much as you can in advance of deciding on your pricing structure and putting a proposal forward. Do lots of searches online for industry standards. Make sure you don't come across as not understanding procurement policies. Ask people who are already working within a particular company or industry, and ask the questions as part of your discovery call with the potential client. So now let's turn to leveraging your spheres of influence to position your offer. Because question four was, how can I position my offer to appeal to organizations? If you've ever attempted to reach corporate decision makers, even if you know the right role in the organisation to approach, you'll know it's nigh on impossible to get a foot in the door sometimes. Many organisations or companies already have a trusted inner circle of colleagues, professional associations, industry networks who they'll turn to if they need to get someone in. And with B2B, you often have to use back doors and side doors. It's not always fruitful to try to reach corporate decision makers directly. You need to think about how you can reach their inner circle or people you directly know in the industry, even the company, who can get you an introduction. Because this can end up giving you a backstage pass, so to speak. Think about how you can leverage your own sphere of influence and other people's networks and spheres of influence. You may already have sussed that this is indeed how much of LinkedIn operates. If you haven't already, listen to my podcast interview a couple of episodes ago with Sophie Lechner, which was all about leveraging LinkedIn to build connections and find clients in ways that are intuitive and authentic. Try to build connections and sell directly, and you're most often met with disdain. I've lost count of the number of people who have asked for a connection, then immediately messaged me with a sales pitch. It's not how you get new business. No way. Not ever. (laughs) Building good quality connections and authentic networks takes time. It's like dating. You don't ask someone to marry you on a first date. You nurture the relationship. You see if things click. If you move in similar circles. If you hold the same values and interests. To reach corporate decision makers, you need dialogue with people in their existing trusted inner circle. The question then becomes, how can I partner with a key person of influence? The title of Daniel Priestley's book, which is great for solo practitioners, by the way. And here we're back to being niche and goal specific. Here's three ideas. Aim for a big vision that mirrors the state of play in the sector. Go for something of a unique angle and make sure that's reflected in your thought leadership and content marketing so you can become better networked in those spheres of interactions, in those interest groups. Think about the untapped opportunity for an organization, something that would potentially give them a competitive advantage to stay ahead of the curve. There are many ways to reach corporate decision makers. If you get on their radar indirectly, they may in fact reach out to you first. Wouldn't that be awesome? Being the hunted, not the hunter. It's always the position you want to be in. And that's why your content strategy is so vital to long-term success here and positioning yourself to attract corporate clients. This has always been my strategy. I've never advertised and don't post much on LinkedIn, but my profile on there and my website are very aligned, targeted and positioned for who I want to attract. I'm very niche specific and quite unique in blending education sector experience, e-learning and evaluation with business process improvement. So I land invitations to do high-end assignments in curriculum planning, process review and change program evaluation. However, I've also been in the industry a fair few decades and have experienced both sides of the procurement process in both corporate world and non-profit spaces. I'm in the inner circles of influence for my target market. I get introduced to decision makers. Other people give me a backstage pass to new contacts. In fact, some of the highest paid consultants don't even have a website and they certainly don't spend hours, even outsourced hours, on social media or creating content. Like me, they don't have a marketing funnel for consulting work. They work through having a clear offer, building a pipeline and networking. For my online customer-focused businesses, it's a completely different story and content marketing and audience-building strategies are crucial for the B2C work that we do. And because I work across both the consulting and coaching space, nowadays I use a bit of a blend. Small list, lots of content, high-end core program, middle market and small businesses. But if you're newer or just starting out, there are many ways you can get more networked and show up on people's radar. You don't need a funnel and you don't need a mega busy content plan. A few regular key thought leadership pieces and partnerships work really well. The main ones I know in the consulting, executive coaching and agency circles are all high engagement mechanisms, being parts of summits, Roundtables, briefing sessions, and panel discussions. It's a kind of virtual joint venture partnership. You can also reverse engineer it and offer a free webinar to other people's audiences. The reason getting in front of other people's audiences works so well is the high degree of value and engagement and authenticity. They can quickly get to know, like, and trust you, especially if you're introduced by an existing trusted partner. The next big part of answering the question of how to ensure your offer appeals to organizations goes back to the who and what of your targeting and positioning. So let's look at how to differentiate your offer in a crowded marketplace. So say you get in front of the right people and they are the key decision makers for what you do. It lands in their department, so to speak. It's likely that even if they say yes to your offer and they really want to work with you or hire you, they will have to go and talk to their head of finance or their CEO in order to get the final approval. So you need to help them to make the case. For B2B, you need to think about more than just the people you work directly with as participants of your course or programme. You're selling to the organisation, not their employees. If you're speaking to the decision maker in the organisation, your message needs to be about organisational benefits of which the staff you work with are not the only beneficiaries. What does your work with those staff mean to the organization? Is it about performance, well-being, or something else? Be specific. Home in on what you deliver in terms of both short-term outcomes and long-term benefits and impact, such that you can relate your contribution to the company or institution's strategic priorities and needs. What's the so what in what you do? Be goal-orientated and use active performance-related verbs that articulate impact, such as grow, accelerate, optimize, boost, and raise, or eliminate, minimize, shorten, shrink. You get the idea. Who are the right people is codependent on what you offer. So make sure you're super clear on your offer first and then test it out, rinse and repeat. Just like in the example I talked through earlier, think about where in the process your ideal client needs help the most and what kinds of topics help them see what may be hiding in a blind spot. The problem with much of the digital marketing advice out there today is it's focused primarily on selling to individuals, not selling to organizations. So don't fall into the trap of thinking you have to have this whole huge social media content plan. I certainly don't. Picking the right market is key to a leveraged business. Work in a niche that's profitable and where you can offer a unique contribution. When you specialize, it's way easier to pick the right topic and avoid being a generalist. Part of the answer to how to reach corporate client decision makers starts with who are your ideal corporate clients to work with. Sometimes we're so busy connecting with a so-called industry like IT or manufacturing or Fortune 500, we forget that there's this huge middle market and a whole massive number of small to medium-sized enterprises, what we call SMEs in the UK. My prime clientele are all non-profit organisations like education, health, charities, social housing and SMEs. That's businesses with less than 250 employees. These all have their own networks and professional associations, their own events, now including virtual events, and their own speaker groups. Look at your past spheres of influence, your personal contacts, your local industry, your chambers of commerce. People can't hire you or buy your program if they don't know about you. So don't hide your light, leverage those networks, ask for support, get yourself visible. Being of service, helping and contributing is a normal part of professional practice. It's not selling. You're looking to find connection and where you can add value. Try to identify where you fit. Some overlap's inevitable, but aim to find the gaps, the areas that are between the lines. This is where you can differentiate and offer value. I talk about this in more depth in episode 23, how to use consultative sales to enroll clients with ease and grace. Or you can read the article on my blog on how to set yourself up for effective sales calls. Now let's tackle the fifth question. How can I make it easier for clients to get started working with me, and now, not later? First, let me circle back to two points I made earlier. One about understanding the organization's hiring, buying, procurement, purchasing procedures. This is often part of their financial regulations, and they're audited on it. So with experience, you'll know what to ask for, or at least know what's coming. And the other point is knowing who you are speaking to in terms of how you position the key deliverables or outcomes of your service or program or course. Stay at the high level benefits and strategic impact, or at least point out how the work you do with their employees produces a team or organizational gain and some kind of competitive advantage for the company. Of course, a company employee, particularly in senior roles, may well come across your content or book or LinkedIn and think what you do or the program you run would be just what they need personally and fit their professional development plan needs. But unless they're going to pay for it out of their own pocket, usually they'd have to make some kind of case to their line manager or HR to fund their place. Now, in terms of getting the gig, what needs to happen is a process. So make sure you have the necessary bits at your end ready. Here's a quick checklist for what you might want to create. One, a template proposal with all your key information that you can customize to suit the specific target organization or industry. It also helps you to know what to say no to if someone approaches you. So what should your proposal, your template include? Well, it should include your core offer, business case, your proprietary framework methodology or model, team members as appropriate, references or testimonials. The second thing that you might want to create is a media bio, particularly if you're a speaker or author or often in the news. A pricing structure with a standard program and additional options or upsells. A clear scope, Whether it's a training program or a project proposal, be specific what the engagement includes and doesn't include. Quite often, I'll say to a client who comes back to me in the middle of a project saying, oh, can you just do this for us? I'll say, well, it's not actually in scope. Within the scope of the project that we've agreed, I'm happy to do it, um, but it requires uh, an additional fee or an additional engagement contract. And if you can include a piece on the measurable return on investment, so they can more easily evaluate value for money of what you deliver. Another thing you might want to create is a set of case studies. So this is um, things that would show what we've done with previous organisations that talk about the situation, the solution, and the success metrics. Proposed schedule for delivery is something that quite often gets forgotten, and and it really makes sometimes makes the whole process just eke out to infinity because you haven't really set a a, a deadline for when they need the proposal when they need to start the work and when the work would be delivered and completed so i would always include at least a provisional uh, schedule a project plan or other time-based agreement My approach is to use the exploratory call, the presentation and or a follow-up process to co-create the proposal because that way it feels familiar and trustworthy to the client when it comes to them and always have a next steps clarified, what needs to happen next, who's doing what and if possible you should always have your next meeting scheduled to keep things moving along. So I want to finish up by talking a little bit about learning the intuitive B2B pathway that I've just talked about. Outreach, directly or indirectly, provides the high-touch interaction that companies need to invest in a high-end solution like a consulting or a coaching program. This, the engage, educate and pathway that I talk about a lot still works really well, but the timing, the time you put in and the methods you use are vastly different for the B2B market than it is when you're selling to individual customers. Outreach may feel uncomfortable, which is why leveraging other people's networks and getting invites to speak are easier backdoors than approaching potential clients directly but both do work and I know you can do it because I did it and I've helped many other consultants, coaches and entrepreneurs do it too. And if you can use digital channels to position yourself as the expert specialist in your chosen niche and have a core signature program in your back pocket, you know what to do when the right people come after you or you reach corporate decision makers and make the offer. And remember, if you need some help with any of these steps, you want to eliminate your bottleneck in the process to get all this streamlined and working really effectively, you can book a strategy discovery call with me for free at jallison.com forward slash iSuccess forward slash LBA. I'll put those links and some of the other things that I've mentioned into the show notes for you as well. And I hope that this has been really helpful. I think it's a subject that needs to be drawn out a little bit. And obviously it's looking very much about where you are in the process and what's actually getting in the way, where your resistance is coming to actually getting those corporate client contracts in. So I'd love to have a conversation with you about it and see if we can unpick it a little bit and tease out some of the solutions that we've talked about. So that's it for me for now. I hope you have a great week and we'll be back here next week. Ciao, ciao for now. Thank you for listening to the Leverage Business Podcast. Want to create leverage in your business? Did this episode provide some insights and ideas to be thinking through? If so, subscribe so you get alerts when the next one's released. If you want to learn more or would like help and support with building a leveraged business that achieves true freedom for you, then head over to jallison.com forward slash podcast to find all the resources and links that go with this show on my website and to join our iSuccess community. And if you're enjoying our content, it would be great if you could pop into Apple Podcasts or the app you listen from and leave me a rating and review. Everyone makes a difference to improving our rankings. So thank you if you've done that already. I appreciate you. So hey, that's it. Thank you for listening. I hope you've loved this episode and have some great takeaways to be thinking through. I wish you a pleasant, productive and profitable week. And I'll see you again next time for another episode of the Leverage Business Podcast.